we're building our own oligarchy of inherited wealth dynasties. And that fundamentally puts us on a collision course with democratic institutions and norms. It's not just about avoiding taxes. It's really about avoiding accountability and enabling these huge inequalities to, to fester and grow. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Chuck Collins gave away a fortune, literally. When he was in his 20s, the heir to the Oscar Mayer fortune gave away his millions to progressive political causes. Now a resident of Guilford, Vermont, Collins has spent his life fighting inequality and exposing how the rich make themselves richer at everyone else's expense. In his new book, The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions, Collins details how the rich deploy a secret army of bankers, lawyers, wealth managers, accountants, and consultants that he dubs the wealth defense industry. He knows these people. They were the advisors who told him that he was a fool for giving away his money. He did it over their objections. Collins is now director of the Program of Inequality at the Institute for Policy Studies. Chuck Collins, welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. Great to be here, David. You begin your book, The Wealth Hoarders, with a scene. You're 23, and you've been recently informed that you will soon inherit a fortune as the heir of the Oscar Mayer business. This is a meeting of wealthy heirs. Um, What happens at that meeting? Well, I kind of youthfully uh, suggest that I'm interested in giving away some of the assets that I've inherited. And a number of people are very alarmed that I would do such a reckless thing. And one older kind of Boston Brahmin, kind of New England wealthy woman decides to sort of take me under her wing and try to explain the wealth facts of life to me. And and so she invites me to her family office in downtown Boston. Anyway, I get a, I get a window into a world I didn't know existed, which is a whole industry that helps people, helps very wealthy people preserve their wealth and pass it on to their children. And so even at, at a young age, I got a, a window into what I what social scientists call the wealth defense industry. And what is that? Who is the wealth defense industry? They are the professional enablers, if you will, that that uh, that work for wealthy families. Um, they're tax attorneys, estate planners, accountants. Uh, they they staff what are called family offices, which are just sort of financial services controlled by a particular family, and their job is to make the wealthiest people on the planet look on paper like they don't have that much wealth. And uh, and so these are the folks who are, uh, in the subtitle of my book, they're paid millions to hide trillions. So I just want to um, clarify something you just said. You talked about giving away your assets, but what you're really talking about is giving away the principle. Explain what that means and why you were told that you are killing the golden goose. What is the principle and what is it that wealthy people normally live off? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sort of um, the, the, the thing we're taught, and if you're in a multi-generational wealthy family, is don't touch the principle. Don't touch the corpus, the nest egg, the, the, the font that continues to throw off income. 
Um, so I, I remember this, uh, this older woman D saying to me, look, uh, you could be, do whatever you want with the income, you know, give it away or, uh, you know, invest it in a certain way or, you know, but don't touch the principle. And that is the cardinal rule. And the whole idea is you, you, you continue to grow this nest egg and pass it on generation after generation. And that the wealth defense industry, these trusted advisors are there to help you accomplish that goal. And don't, don't recklessly invade the principle. That's actually the term people use when you cross the line into touching the core asset. So what many of the wealthy do is they become philanthropists. Why were you so uh, repelled by the idea of just giving money to the causes you cared about? Why did you want to give away the principle? Well, in some ways, I, I sort of felt like um, I didn't want to be part of the system that was creating these dynastic fortunes, you know, wealth accumulating, even growing generation after generation. And I didn't really want to spend my life being a philanthropist in terms of, you know, that's important work, but I didn't feel I had any qualification or insight that that would give me, uh, you know, credibility in terms of doing that. So, uh, yeah, I, I decided not only to just give away the income, but to give away the assets, but I gave it to a number of foundations that would then go in turn make the decisions, foundations that were controlled by community activists and leaders who were much better equipped to make good decisions about how the money would be best used. What are you proudest of, of the things that that has gone on to fund? Well, this was quite a while ago, uh, maybe almost 35 years ago. But um, one of the things I did is I gave a significant amount of money to a fund. This is in 1985 that was led by women of color who were funding uh, leadership development. Um, so, you know, I think that was that was kind of cool. Um, I also, behind the scenes, funded organizing with to support mobile home park tenants around New England who were organizing to purchase their mobile home parks and own them as resident-owned cooperatives. And uh, now I can drive around New England, particularly in New Hampshire. There's about 125 of these resident-owned mobile home parks. So that that was good. But, you know, ultimately, I didn't have the final say over where those funds went and uh, some other smart and much more connected, community-connected people made those decisions. So I don't ultimately know where everything went. So let's move to the the focus of your book. You know, the whole country, the whole world has had an up close and personal look at this notion of how you hide or obfuscate enormous wealth in the person of Donald Trump. Um, We've seen that every, you know, that from what we are learning of his taxes, he's paid literally no taxes for year after year and yet is worth millions, perhaps billions, perhaps nothing, uh, depends on which line of the accounting form. So how does a character like Trump hide his wealth for so long and so successfully? Well, he would say it's because he's a smart guy. Um, But the reality is he hires uh, this armada of wealth defense industry professionals. Um, We now know from the New York Times is quite quite detailed expose that, you know, he inherited roughly $400 million from his father's real estate empire. 
um, not a bad head start in life. And he has then gone on to build his own real estate empire and he pays almost no taxes. And he's doing that because partly real estate and all, and that sector in particular has a whole lot of ways to move money around to make it look like you're not making money when you're actually making money. So the real estate industry has its own loopholes and sort of shell games that they play. But, you know, again, he's hiring tax attorneys, fixers. Uh, we don't know, but he may have money offshore. He have may have money in shell corporations. We know that he and Michael Cohn, his attorney, used Delaware limited liability companies to funnel hush funds to uh, Stormy Daniels, you know, so she wouldn't speak out. Or, or when it came to Paul Manafort in the Ukraine, they all used these shell companies. So, so Donald Trump is very familiar and, and probably employs a fairly significant number of people in this wealth defense industry. Trump could have gotten away with this for probably his whole life had he not been president. I mean, he basically brought the House down on himself now with numerous, I think there's 40 different lawsuits, including uh, the new, the Attorney General of the State of New York, the District Attorney of New York, the U.S. Attorney. Um, and we don't know which of these is going to stick, but I, I'm fairly confident that um, one or more of these things is going to pierce all these, you know, layers of armor that he has surrounded himself with. Um, do you think that the House of Trump will finally be in, the, in this army of wealth defense industry people will finally be brought down? I think it will become one of the one of the better case studies because uh, some of the secrecy through through some of these disclosures, the secrecy will be revealed. And, you know, for instance, the role of Deutsche Bank in essentially propping up an, an insolvent real estate empire. How did this happen? You know, but I think the, the important takeaway is, yeah, we, we're going to learn something thanks to Donald Trump, thanks to the fact that he was president and there was a higher level of scrutiny. But he is he is not an aberration. This isn't a sideshow in the economy, the, the ways in which people hide and, and sequester wealth. It is really the main stage. So we're now at a situation globally where the billionaires, the, 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 I call the, the ultra high net worth households, you know, 30 million all the way up to the billionaires. That group is hiding an estimated 25 to $36 trillion globally in tax havens, shell companies, trusts. So, you know, here we are having this conversation at the national level about where will we raise revenue to invest in infrastructure or to offset, mitigate climate change. And the wealthy are moving trillions to the shadows. Um, so that's why it's so relevant. It's not just, you know, a, a, a scattered example here or there. It's really central to what's broken right now in the system. Just this, uh, in the last few weeks, we've learned that the 40 top uh, companies, or not the 40 top, but um, 40 of the top companies in the U.S., paid no income taxes last year, among them Zoom, the thing that we all live on that has obviously been very profitable in the last year, paid no income taxes. Um, 
what is it you know what's it going how does that happen how do these giant companies when we read that nike and and zoom pay no taxes how can that be we're all sitting here doing our taxes right now accounting for every penny yeah i mean i you know we've been talking a little bit about wealthy individuals but uh global corporations have they, they use a lot of the same tools they use a lot of the same professional expertise in the case of Zoom, there's a whole game that companies like Apple and uh, uh, you know Google and Facebook and others use, which is they take their intellectual property and they park it in a country, they create a subsidiary that's owned in a country that has no taxes on royalties. And then they pay millions and billions to their subsidiary for the use of this intellectual property. It's all an internal accounting but from a tax point of view, it reduces their tax bill in the U.S. to nothing or very low. And they've shifted these resources to a country where there is no tax on royalties. That is, that is exa an example of 101 shell games that these very, very well-paid tax attorneys and accountants use to game corporate taxes down. Um, and the and the good news is, you you know, uh, Fed Chairwoman uh, Jan Yellen the other day said we should have a global corporate income tax, minimum income tax. And what's implied by that is all these countries get together and say, no, you can't pit pit us against each other in this hiding game anymore. Everybody's going to have to come clean. There's going to be transparency, and we're going to have a minimum corporate tax rate. That's that's moving us in the right direction. You've spoken to disaffected workers from the wealth defense industry. Um, who are they and what did they tell you? Well, you know, these are folks who have fairly comfortable jobs. They've gotten professional training. They think of themselves as uh, helping families. But what I found, and I've interviewed a bunch of people, uh, is that there's, there's a crack in that system. A lot of these people are kind of waking up and saying, huh, I'm spending my entire life force helping the richest people in the world get richer. Um, and I'm helping these families, but at the expense of every other family in the world. So they're more and more what I call disaffected people in this industry. And they are trying to find other work. They're trying to get out of it. Some of them are leaking information to journalists so we can learn a little bit more about what's going on. A lot of what we know about the wealth defense industry is because disaffected people in that industry have leaked information like the Panama Papers, the Paradise Papers, the FinCEN Papers. There's all these disclosures. Um, so it, it's an unhappy group because if they really look at what they're doing, they realize it's actually quite destructive. One of the connecting lines between these big leaks, the Panama Papers, the, Lu the Luanda Papers about uh, how Angola became one of the wealthiest kleptocracies in the world is the threat to democracy that these uh, individuals which become nation states are often you know led by leaders who become thieves essentially looting their own countries talk a little bit about that connection between democracy and this vast accumulation of hidden wealth yeah I mean it's sort of obvious that when the wealthy dodge taxes, they're shifting the tax obligations onto everyone else. But the, the point you're making, which is so important, is this 
this wealth defense industry, this hidden wealth system is really undermines self-governing societies. I mean, uh, take a country like Angola that has tremendous wealth and resourceful people, but if a few of their richest people are siphoning money, plundering the wealth of the country and moving it out of the country, it undermines that ability to, of that society to tax and invest in, and, and, and have its own healthy democratic society. And here in the United States, we're essentially enabling the creation of kind of dynasties, oligarchies of wealth, uh, that if, if you just play this out another decade or two, we're going to have these, you know, a hundred families. We always talk about Latin America and the 14 families of El Salvador, the oligarchs, but we're building our own oligarchy of inherited wealth dynasties. And that fundamentally puts us on a collision course with democratic institutions and norms. So it's not just about avoiding taxes. It's really about avoiding accountability and enabling these huge inequalities to, to fester and grow. What ultimately radicalized you? And I ask that because therein lies the secret to what might get to some of the other newfound uh, members of the 1% and change their approach to money. Well, you know, I, I just realized, do I really want to live in a society where there are these huge dynastic fortunes where billionaires are dominating our political life, our culture, philanthropy, the economy, uh, where more and more people are feeling fearful and desperate to just have basic economic security? In the end, I don't think these, in, these extreme inequalities are good for anybody. Uh, they certainly undermine the quality of life. So I want to live in a society that has, that is more like the Nordic countries where there's a decent social safety net, where nobody is destitute and desperate, uh, where there's really good public investments in healthcare and infrastructure and things that make for a great quality of life. And where you don't have, uh, you know, a hand, a couple hundred billionaires throwing their weight around politically and, and economically. So I don't think it's really in anyone's interest to keep going down this path. You have, uh, towards the end of your book, a fictitious commencement address to the Harvard Business School class of 2021. What guidance do you offer them? Yeah, and this this comes in, in part from, from interviewing the people who do this work in the wealth defense industry. And, you know, my, my commencement speech is, you know, these are some young people who have gotten tremendous training. The world is their oyster. They're graduates of the Harvard Business School. And my advice to them was, you know, find meaningful work, but don't join the wealth defense industry. Don't devote even 10 years of your life to helping the rich get richer because it's really undermining the quality of life for everyone else. So don't work for the billionaires is, was my message. Don't, don't help them capture the political system and get more wealth. Work for community housing organizations. Work for uh, worker-owned businesses that are expanding and growing. You know, help, help build up the healthy part of the economy, not the destructive part of the economy. One of the stories that really drove home um, just the amorality of this system that you're describing, the wealth defense industry, 
is the story of the Sackler family that's been in the news lately. And this is the family that invented and marketed uh, OxyContin, knowing that it would addict people and kill them. And they were aided by uh, McKinsey, you know, one of the world's top consulting firms that is, you know, loaded top to bottom with Ivy League graduates. And you think about the poor folks on the receiving end uh, who are addicted now, and they had no idea what they were up against, that the best and the brightest of American education, of American business, of marketing prowess was aimed squarely at them to hook them on this drug because it was so damn profitable. Um, How do you change that dynamic where the profit motive, we're so inculcated that that is what drives it all. That's the end all be all. If you make money, it's all worth it. How do you break through the allure of that pitch? Wow. Yeah. I mean, part of it is one angle is to go at these enabling professionals, the people that surround a company or a family like the Sacklers and encourage them to, you know, squeeze every nickel. Um, They were even advised to give to philanthropic and art organizations in a way to deflect attention away from the way in which they were making the money off of the opioid crisis. You know, so so part of it is these these families are responsible and and people need to look at the harms that are sometimes created when these vast fortunes are accumulated. But we should also look at this this professional enabler group that that makes the super rich almost a protected class, protected from accountability and responsibility for their own decisions. Um, and ultimately, you know, I you know, I've, I've actually met members of the Sackler family. I, I'm, I'm personally glad I don't have the last name Sackler right now walking around the world. But, you know, they should be deploying, they should not be fighting these lawsuits. They should be using their wealth to heal the harms that have been created by their company and by their family business. They should, that money should be going to West Virginia to rebuild devastated communities. Um, and that's ultimately how they will restore honor to their family. You know, it's not, you know, it, it, they have to be redeploying that wealth and not fighting off the, the charges that they should be more accountable. Well, and, and they should be going to jail. I mean, many of them. them, And a few of the family members should be behind bars because they made absolutely instrumental decisions to push to get people addicted. So talk a little bit about solutions. Um, you mentioned this universal global corporate, you know, baseline corporate income tax. What are some other solutions to the wealth hoarders? One is enforcement. Uh, the oversight, the Treasury Department's ability to oversee these kind of activities has their capacity has been decimated by budget cuts, by the drain of expertise, you know. There used to be what was called the rich squad at the IRS that knew how to follow the money and knew how these trusts and tax scams worked. Right now, you're more likely to be audited. You're four times more likely to be audited if you use the earned income credit, which is for low and middle income working families, than if you're a millionaire using these trusts. So investing in that, requiring corporate transparency, 
there's no good reason why corporations should be able to hide the identity of who their owners are. Uh, most of us, you know, if you look up, you'll be able to find out who owns the property next door, uh, who owns the city, but more and more the rich are hiding behind shell companies. And so corporate transparency would help with this. And we can outlaw certain kinds of tax loopholes uh, and certain kinds of trusts. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and his new estate tax bill basically sh shuts down a bunch of these hidden wealth uh, mechanisms. And, and, and we should do that. And finally, once, once we clean up our own U.S. house a little bit, we should join with the, you know, uh, the European Union and, the, and England and form treaties to enforce transparency across countries, including things like a corporate minimum tax. Uh, all of that would go a long way. We could totally shut down uh, the system that's grown so much in the last 10 years. Finally, you know, we began talking about that meeting with you as a 23-year-old. The uh, elder states people at that meeting told you uh, that you were foolish. If you were to attend a meeting like that today and met uh, a, another 23-year-old version of yourself, what would you tell him? Um, I would say, you know, you move this wealth, move it along, return it back to the community, to the commons, uh, use it in a way to offset the harms that may have been created through the creation of the wealth, uh, empower other people to make decisions about the use of the money. Um, and that that's actually part of, you know, how we restore equality and fairness to our society. And that that's the kind of society you want to live in, that we all want to live in. And, you know, you're going to have to go up against these powerful advisors, these trusted advisors, this wealth defense industry, who on the other hand is going to be saying, accumulate more, uh, you know, think about your next, think about your children and grandchildren and passing the wealth onto them. And uh, you're going to have to go up against them and say, sorry, I'm not going to follow that advice. Um, I'm going to go this other path because I believe that this is for the greater good. So yeah, I and I do have a chance to talk to people and that's essentially what I say. And I think the good news is there's a whole movement of younger people who were born on third base, won the lottery at birth, understand how destructive that is to the whole society and are choosing a different path. Well, Chuck Collins, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Thanks, David, for having me. Chuck Collins' newest book is The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this in all shows at vtdigger.org slash Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.